Good evening, everybody. Happy New Year. We're almost there. Yay. Good to see all of you this evening. Let me uh, open us with prayer. Please join me in prayer. Merciful God, it is humbling and wonderful to be here tonight. It's humbling because we are anticipating that you're going to speak. And that's a powerful thing to hope for. Thank you for meeting us here. Thank you for giving us your Holy Spirit. Thank you for giving us this past year of 2017. And thank you for your word tonight that I am confident will speak to our hearts and speak to my heart about the courage you're calling us to in 2018 and beyond. We give these next few minutes to you. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, as Nancy mentioned, I'm Travis. I'm the pastor at Bethany Eastside. You are welcome to come visit us anytime. We worship at 10 o'clock, so that would be in the morning. At Peter Kirk Community Center in beautiful downtown Kirkland, you can come to church, go take a walk by the water. It's great. I guess you can do that here too, but that's okay. We've been there now uh, two and a half years. My lovely wife, Jill, is here with me tonight, hence the sports coat. We do have dinner plans later on, so that's why I've got this going on up here. Not just for you guys, but, you know, there you go. Uh, I got to say hi to everybody online. I need to say hi to my mom and dad and my grandma who are watching from Texas. Hi, guys. Speaking of which, I got to talk to you about victory, and I'm sorry that the Seahawks did not achieve a victory tonight. That was kind of rough. If you were waiting for the TiVo later on, I apologize for blowing it for you. <laughs> Victory is a big deal when we're trying to see a football team through. We're hoping that they'll get there. We're hoping that they'll make the playoffs, but those doggone Eagles just couldn't, or uh, Falcons, the other bird, just couldn't do it for us, right? Couldn't make it happen. What was a big win for you, a big victory for you in 2017? Think back on your work. Think back on school if you're a student. If you're a parent, think back on a victory maybe you had for your kids. If you're in recovery, think back of a moment where you went, wow, I've, I've been sober now for X number of months or even X number of years. Some big uh, victories in my family this year is we welcomed uh, our newest baby, Amelia, into the world in March. That's a victory, healthy baby, joyful thing, right? I'm a Houston Astros fan, and so many of you will know what happened on November 1st, right? our first ever World Series championship in 55 years. Yes, I know the Mariners have never been to the World Series. I am hoping that you guys can feel the joy that I felt on November 1st, sometime soon. It will happen. I, I really hope it'll happen. There's victory that our culture loves to obsess about, and then there's the victory that Jesus offers to us, and that's what I want to talk to us about tonight. Better than any best of 2017 list, better than any victory, having a baby, getting a new calling, just taking off to New York, these are all great things, joyful things, victorious things, but there is something more that God has for you and for me in 2018. And tonight, we're just calling that the victory in Christ. That's the title of tonight's sermon. And the victory that Christ brings to you and to me is not what we expect. It's a hard road to get to the victory that he desires for us. This past year, one of the things I learned about myself, one of the victories, if you will, for me, was understanding the things that I struggle with. Maybe you can relate to this. Sometimes you discover what you struggle with and you kind of trip and fall into it and you go, oh wow, I had no idea that was a problem for me. I had no idea that this relationship over here was so broken. It sort of comes up out of you like a geyser out of the ground. For me, there was more of a slow burn learning in 2017 and my learning around that was, I struggle with courage. I struggle to be a courageous person. I struggle with being brave when the moment demands it. 
And as you can imagine, in the role of pastor, leader, all these other titles that I have, there's a lot of opportunity to be brave. And I'll just say, 2017, I came up short quite a few times. And the reason that that happened for me, and maybe you can relate to this too, is because I worried that by being courageous, somebody might not like me. Anybody relate to that? Anybody relate to this idea of like, if I lose this person's approval, it doesn't really matter whether I achieve my goal or not. It just stinks to be in that broken place relationally. That was something that I maybe knew a little bit about this year, but God just drove that home for me this year, that I just love approval and acceptance way too much. And I'm lacking courage around that. Now, Maybe that's not something that lands in your life. Maybe you go, dude, I got courage coming out my ears. Like, this is not a problem for me. Give me the football. I'm going to carry it down to the end zone, right? Well, let me ask this. If courage isn't a struggle for you, what's the target of your courage? What's your courage being aimed at? Because if you fall short like I do in the courage department, then the overabundance of courage improperly aimed doesn't do you much good either. So tonight... I want to give us a target to aim at with our courage. You want to do that together? Can we do that together tonight? Somebody say amen. Amen. We're going to keep working on our amens unit, guys. This is going to get good. It's going to get real good. Victory in Christ. You want to write down a thesis statement. Here it is. Victory in Christ comes through sacrifice. And we all just cringe a little bit when we hear that word sacrifice, don't we? We'll talk about that in a little bit. Four questions for us to consider very briefly about this idea of victory in Christ through sacrifice. When John wrote this letter, what was his hope? You can just write John's hope. What was his hope for victory in Christ? That's question one. Question two, what was Jesus' victory like? What was it really like? Question three, what did the New Testament church see as victory in Christ? And the fourth question, what can we do? What can we do? And when I say victory in Christ tonight, I mean the victory that Jesus achieved for you and for me through his life and his death and his resurrection and that resurrection power, you guys, it is available right now. And it is available in 2018 and beyond. That's his victory. But the way that that victory translates into our lives is the courage that we bring into our everyday living. And we're gonna talk about how that happens for each of us. If you have a Bible app, I wanna encourage you to open that up. If you have a copy of the Message Translation, God bless you, pull that out. I love the Message Translation. We're gonna spend most of our time using the Message tonight. So follow along with me. This is the passage that Nancy read for us, but it's the last two verses. So 1 John 5, verses four and five. And the Message paraphrases the scripture this way. Every God-begotten person conquers the world's ways. Does what to the world's ways? Conquers. Say it with me. Conquers the world's ways. The conquering power that brings the world to its knees is our faith. The person who wins out over the world's ways is simply the the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Now we're going to park our car on top of that phrase, conquers the world's ways, for just a little while. That word conquer in the Greek is nikeo, which is where the company Nike got its name, Victory, Conquest. It usually meant in some sort of competition, some kind of sport, or in the courtroom. Victory over your adversary. Victory against the person bringing suit against you. It's one of John's biggest themes, both in the letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and the other letter he wrote, the letter, the uh, uh, Revelation. He uses this word a ton. 
Now, why would he want to do that? John was writing this letter around 80, 90. Most, people, most scholars think it was around that time. And he wrote it as an encyclical. I, I haven't read an encyclical lately. I haven't written one lately, but this was an encyclical. And all that means is that it was a letter that was meant to be distributed to different groups of people throughout the church in a particular part of the world. And a big goal for John's letter had to do with what was happening in the church at this time period. If you've done any kind of New Testament history, you might know where I'm going with this. This was the time when this system of beliefs that had been so untouched so far in the journey of the church was starting to come under fire. And the the thing that first brought fire to it was Gnosticism. This kind of... uh, alternate philosophy, alternate theology about God. And we don't have time to go into detail about it because our eyes would glaze over, frankly. But Gnosticism was the first major departure from biblical faith. It was the first major departure from biblical faith that really hit the church. Big controversy. Was Jesus fully God, fully human? Bible says yes. Gnosticism said, "Mm, maybe. The Gnostics had other things that they were at odds with Christians around. And so there was this division. Here's what John hoped for. Here's the answer to question one. John hoped for victory in Christ through the truth. Through the truth. He wanted people to live victoriously, to live in the truth of the gospel. And so a big goal for him would have been to address this falsehood of Gnosticism through this letter by saying, look, you guys, it's not this, it's this. If you aim at this target, you're missing it. If you come over here and follow what Jesus is about, you will find life. Now, we live in a very relativistic time. Whatever you want to believe, whatever's true for you, that's his truth, that's her truth. That's all fine and good. But if we live in a role of a leader, one of a leader's first task is to define reality. We have to define reality. Parents have to define reality for their kids. We have to give them freedom, yes, of course. But we also have to give them the ability to say, if you go this route, there will be consequences. This may not turn out well for you. That's defining reality. John, like a good parent, is defining reality for the people who are following behind him. And I would say that's a courageous goal. It's a courageous goal to step into the definition of reality for somebody else. It's a goal, hopefully, that cares about other people more than caring about yourself, that puts on courage so that you will bring the word that somebody needs to hear, maybe needs to hear desperately, And you'll push through that thing that I mentioned earlier that often holds me back, worrying about whether they're going to like me after I have that hard conversation with them. Somebody can say amen to that. Okay, good. Somebody's with me. We got a team. Let's go. That's the first question. Second question, how did Jesus achieve his victory? What did it feel like? John wanted to bring truth to bear in the lives of his people. He wanted to define reality for them. But what did it feel like for Jesus to achieve this victory? it didn't feel like we might think. We know that his greatest sacrifice, remember victory in Christ comes through sacrifice. We know that his greatest sacrifice was right there on the cross, on the hill that nobody else was gonna be sent to, that he was nailed to the cross with common criminals. The sacrifice that he brought that changed everything, yes, it was the cross, absolutely. That instrument of shame and torture that the Romans were so, so enamored with that they figured nobody could come back from. Nobody could beat them. Nobody could ever overcome this. Well, guess who did? The Lord himself overcame it. He overcame sin and death. He conquered it, nikaioed it. And through the sacrifice of the cross, we have the hope of the gospel. We have the hope of real life. It's that 
irrevocable victory that brings incredible freedom. That victory can never be vacated that Jesus brought for us. That's the cross. But before the cross is where I want to talk about the victory in Christ that came through sacrifice that maybe we can relate to a little bit more with our hearts. Maybe that we can feel a little bit more in our guts. The moment that I'm describing is the Garden of Gethsemane. And if you want to read this on your own time, Matthew 26, Mark 14, Luke 22, they all depict it in very similar ways. And this is such an encouragement for me to read in light of the journey that I've been on, learning about courage, learning about my own shortcomings there, because I see our Lord being courageous, and I see it being pretty rough. He didn't just snap his fingers and courage dropped out of the sky like Amazon now. It didn't happen like that. He had to get to courage. He had to wrestle and get dirty and find a way to get to that courage that God was holding out to him. Jesus is staying up through the night, praying and wrestling with God. His disciples are with him, but they fade in and they fade out. They kind of go to sleep, and he's in agony. If you go back and read these texts, it's just staggering to think about what his body went through, the sweat and the tears and, and blood. And, you know, you picture, like, his fists are clenched and his body's super tight as he's going through all this. And what do we do? What do you and I do when we're going through something like that? What's that quiet, insidious little thought that runs through our mind when we're facing suffering? If you're like me, it goes something like this. Did I do something wrong? Did I do something wrong? Is this my fault that I'm feeling this pain right now? Isn't it so tempting to think of that when you're in the midst of suffering? I must have done something to bring this upon myself. Friends, hear me when I say that when you are in the midst of suffering now and into 2018, do not kid yourself by thinking that it's always your fault. If you are facing resistance, if you are facing pain, if you are facing persecution and it hurts, it may not be your fault. It may not be something that you have brought upon yourself. Jesus was not out of the will of the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane. No, 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 no. He was 100% where God wanted him to be, and it hurt. So if you're worried that you're out of step with what God desires for you, this may or may not be the case. Hold it out loosely, but hold this. Know this. Maybe you are where you're supposed to be, and it's going to hurt. Maybe it's going to hurt for a while. And if you're hurting right now, Guess who understands your hurt 100%? The same Lord that went to that cross. You will never have a pain that Jesus doesn't understand. You will never face a pain that Jesus does not understand. That's good news. That's real good news. And then, this is even better news. Matthew 26, 42, Jesus says the most courageous words ever spoken in human history. Father, if this, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Your will be done. Friends, the wrestling will end. It's gonna end. Whatever you are struggling with right now, if it's health issues, if it's addiction, if it's fading in and out of housing situations and there's instability all around you, if it's friends who are mad at you, if it's a marriage that you don't know that you can save, the wrestling will end. The peace of Christ that surpasses all understanding, it's gonna come. The suffering will end. This too shall pass. Maybe you just need to, there we go. There was an amen over there. Thank you. Sorry, pointing fingers. I got you. Fist bump. Boom. The wrestling will end. It's going to end, guys. That is good news. That is victory in Christ right now. And what was sacrificed? Remember, victory in Christ comes through what? Comes through 
sacrifice. What was sacrificed in the night of the Garden of Gethsemane? A good night of sleep. Jesus didn't get to sleep too much, right? That had to be put up to die. But one thing that's hugely beneficial to us in a post-Christian culture is this. Jesus, on the night that he was struggling and suffering in the Garden of Gethsemane, he put to rest all this talk that maybe his life was somehow effortless, that his journey was somehow not costly to him, that he can't understand what we go through. No, 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 no. He put that to bed in the Garden of Gethsemane because he wrestled, because it was hard, because he had the blood and the sweat and the pain all across his face, And he still lived that perfect life and he still went to the cross and he still had those sweat and tears right there on his face and there for you and for me. And that's how he continues to bring victory into your life and to my life is through our pain, through our tears, through those sacrifices. Victory in Christ comes through what? Comes through sacrifice. Let's try it one more time. Victory in Christ comes through? There you go. Y'all are with me. Come on now. Jesus stepped in. Took on, our sac- took, took on our pain, wrestled, found the courage the Father wanted to give him all along. So, how does that translate to the people who follow Jesus right after this moment? The New Testament church, the people that are off and running. Let's go back to the text, 1 John 5, 5. The person who wins out over the world's ways is simply the one who believes Jesus is the Son of God. How could it possibly be that simple? How could it possibly be that simple? Believe Jesus is the Son of God. Really? Is that easy? Well, it ain't easy, but it is that simple. History gives us a very clear example. Here's what happened. The people who followed Jesus, who were with him, who saw him die, who saw him come back to life, all these incredible people, they began this movement known as the church in which we now sit. We swim in those same waters. The people who followed Jesus in droves after his death and resurrection spread out throughout the Roman Empire. This news was so good they had to tell everybody about it. And they went out and they didn't just talk at people. They went out and they lived out the gospel. They lived out the reality of Jesus' life and death and resurrection. You know how they did that? They did that by coming beside people that everybody else had written off. That everybody else said, no, 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 don't waste your time. The Roman Empire said, you know who doesn't matter? Orphans. Don't worry about them. And the people who followed God said, wait just a second. Wait just a second. No. Those are our kids. And they took care of them. They came beside the sick and they prayed for healing. They lived out the gospel and their neighbors noticed and they wanted to be a part of it too. And their coworkers noticed. And their boss at work, who was a jerk, but he still needed to hear about the gospel, he jumped in and he wanted to be a part of it. And it spread throughout the Roman Empire. And all of a sudden, this brutality, this regime that was unmatched in its violence and its military power, all of a sudden there were fissures, there were little, little cracks starting to form throughout the empire. John sent out this letter around AD 90, as near as scholars can figure. And then sometime around AD 96 to 98, something happened at the highest level of the Roman government. A new emperor came to power, and this guy's name was Nerva, and he instituted some major reforms across the empire. He came in to kind of be the new sheriff in town, clean things up a little bit, and interestingly enough, one of the reforms that Emperor Nerva brought across the Roman empire, and he was the emperor, so everybody had to listen to him, He ended the Roman Empire's official policy of persecuting Christians. 
he said, we're not doing that anymore. We don't know enough from history about why he chose to do that, what motivated him to do that. All we know is that the decree came from on high, from the emperor himself, stop persecuting Christians. Y'all, that's impossible. (laughs) There's no reason that should have happened. There is no way that barely 70 years after the death, because the Romans thought it was just the death, they didn't believe in his resurrection, the death of Jesus, of a religion that they said, no, this can't exist, we shouldn't have this in our, our nation, we shouldn't have this around the world, there is no reason that 70 years, barely 70 years after that, that the government of Rome said, no, it's cool, go do your thing, we're not gonna persecute you anymore. <laughs> Absolutely doesn't make sense. Totally impossible. Why would a culture change? Because the culture needed to see something different. Because it was time. Because the seed that had been scattered by the followers of Jesus who took the gospel seriously, that seed found good soil. And something started to grow. And I don't know how it played out, I'm kind of theorizing here, but I think part of what changed in the Roman Empire is they saw that Christians were actually up to some good. How desperate is our world to see that in 2018? To see that the people who follow Jesus are up to some good. Can we be a part of that? That, my friends, is renewal. That's renewal. That's when the Holy Spirit gets into your bones and moves you towards something that you probably weren't going to be a part of, but doggone it, you just got to go do it now. You gotta go be a part of the shelter here at Bethany Green Lake. You gotta go be a part of something that is risky. You gotta go be inviting someone to Alpha. You gotta be touching the lives of people that you don't like very much, but man, they are hurting. And they're looking at you. They're looking at you to bear that message of victory through sacrifice. Can you do it? Not by yourself, but you can definitely do it through the Holy Spirit. How could God be nudging you, poking you, prodding you to carry his victory forth into yet uncharted territory? Or if you consider yourself to be a person who's pretty courageous, how about taking aim with that courage at something new, something different, something in about you, in about your business, in about your success, it's about somebody else. Where's your courage aiming? So victory in Christ comes through sacrifice. Jesus' victory came through his sacrifice on the cross, through the courage that he found in the garden. The people of God are called to pick up that same courage and start running with it. You can turn to your neighbor right now and say, start running with it. Start running with it. Come on, start running with it. How are we going to do that? This is where we answer that question. How are we going to do that? Something needs to be sacrificed because victory comes through sacrifice, right, church? Amen? Victory comes through sacrifice. What are you going to sacrifice? Let me make a suggestion, and this is for me too. I want us to sacrifice our mediocre visions for our lives. I want us to sacrifice and tear down the mediocrity of a three-car garage in the suburbs. And I live in the burbs. I got two-car garage, and that's pretty nice, but still. That's not the vision. That's not what we die for. That's not what people lay down in traffic and change their lives for. No. It's good to want success. It's good to want a safe home for your family. It's good to want to find places where you can thrive. Absolutely. But don't settle for a mediocre vision, church. Don't do it. Not in 2018. Not ever again. Because there's victory to be had. There's victory that we have not seen yet. And the one thing that's going to get in the way of that, oh man, is the most lame, mediocre visions for our lives. 
Visions that aren't grounded in the things that we value or the things that we believe or the things that we know to be true. Visions that are just like, well, I guess I'll do this job for a while and if another opportunity comes up and then maybe I'll go over here, maybe I'll, no, 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 stop it, stop it. Go be the people of God and the place that God has called you to be. And if you're here tonight, my argument is that God has called you to be a part of Bethany Community Church. And if you're here at this location, if this is your home, if you're here at six o'clock every, every week, you got something to go do right here. And if you don't know where you need to go do that, come on over to east side. Trip on over to the other side of the lake. It don't take no passport. Come on. Let's do it. I want to make four suggestions for all of us, and maybe one of these will land in your life and my life. And these are four visions of victory. You can say them with me after I say them the first time. Victory over despair. Say it with me. Victory over despair. That's number one. Victory over loneliness. Victory over loneliness. That's number two. Come on, church. Victory over injustice. Say it with me. Victory over injustice. Victory over selfishness. Last one. Say it with me. Victory over selfishness. Let's talk about the first one. Victory over despair. How do we get to that? You just got to that. When you come to worship, you are surrounded by beauty and awe and grandeur. I remember the first time I ever walked into this sanctuary, I thought to myself, this is incredible because this place speaks to the power of God in such a a humble way. I don't know how. It just is. It's a warm and welcoming space. And there's plenty of room in here. So who not here yet? Who could be worshiping with you? Who's struggling with despair? Who needs to experience the awe and wonder of Almighty God in this place? Who could be here with you tonight? When we gather for worship, we step into a sacred space and sacred time perfectly designed by God to reach our hearts. That is how we push back against despair. If you've had a terrible week at work, come to worship. If you've had a great week at work, come to worship. If one of your kids is bugging you so much you want to put them in a package and mail them to Thailand, come here and worship. I might be tempted to do that from time to time with my children. We need each other. We need to be in worship together. If you are in town on a Sunday in 2018, I want you to be here. Or I want you to be at my church. Or I want you to be at another Bethany church. If you are in town in 2018, be here. Show up. Be a part of this community. That's victory over despair by embracing awe and wonder. Next one, victory over loneliness. Don't we live oh, in the loneliest of lonely times? It is so hard. It is so hard when we live in a city like we live in where people are moving here in droves and they're landing in these high-profile jobs and they got all this stuff going on and they go home at night and there's nothing. There's nothing. And I'm not trying to belittle that. That is... That is rough. But the way that we get through loneliness is through embracing community. We will find victory over loneliness when we embrace community. And in my memory, there's never been a time at Bethany Community Church where we have tried to emphasize community more than we have lately, especially here at Green Lake. Trying to find new ways for people to get connected in small groups. Trying to get neighborhoods to get together and know one another. Trying to build out ministries so that people who are far from God can just come and step in and be in fellowship and go ride your bikes together or go play pickup basketball together. Go do whatever you want to do. There's a tidal wave of community happening at Bethany Community Church right now. And my question is, are you a part of it? Or are you an observer? You will not get out of loneliness by being an observer. You will find your way through it by embracing the community that God is building up right here. And I want you to be a part of that. 
That's victory over loneliness. Victory over loneliness by embracing community. Victory over injustice and inequality through acts of grace and mercy. This is in our DNA. This is what the early church did so powerfully. Is going to the poor and the broken and the vulnerable and the people that everybody else had written off and saying, no, 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 no. You matter to God. You were made in God's image. Get on in here. We got a seat for you at the table. There are countless ways to get involved in the work of justice around Bethany. My buddy Nathan works here at Green Lake. He's tall. He's easy to find. Go see him in the lobby afterwards, and he will tell you all the different ways you can be involved in the work of tearing down injustice and building up the justice of God throughout our city. Some of you may know this, but over at Bethany Eastside, we have had the privilege of developing a friendship with an African-American church in Rainier Beach called Paradise Baptist Church. And we've been getting together with them. We've been worshiping with them. Their pastor and I have developed this really cool friendship. He actually texted me this morning, like, have a happy new year. I'm like, you're the coolest guy ever. Like, come on. You want to be a part of that? Come join us. It's awesome. We don't know where it's going, but we got stuff to do. And Paradise has stuff to do in Rainier Beach. And aren't we excited to see where that goes? You bet we're excited to see where that goes. My boy Nick Rubesh over here, he helped lead worship at Paradise Baptist Church. It was awesome. I am so excited to see where more and more of God's desires for people of different races to come together and worship God and serve God and love God. I'm so excited to see how that plays out. Come be a part of that. Wherever you find a way to do that, come be a part of that. That's victory over injustice and inequality. Finally, victory over selfishness through generosity. Every time we give, every time the offering plate comes around, every time you fire up the Bethany app and you give online, you are freeing yourself from selfishness. Did you know that? Because you are getting away from this terrible idea that my stuff is my stuff. When you say to God, like, God, this is what I can give right now, and it's yours, because everything I have is yours. You know what cannot enter into the room? You know what can't get on the same city block? You know what can't get in the same zip code as that? Is selfishness. Because generosity drives out selfishness. So if you've been generous to Bethany over the years, thank you. My family and I are so grateful to be a part of this church for many, many reasons. One being that this is a generous church. And if you haven't had the opportunity to embrace generosity, to make it a way of life, 2018 is just around the corner. It's a great time to start. Love to see us continue on that trajectory of being a generous church. If you think there are so many barriers between you and generosity, you can't get there. Financial Peace University, it's coming up. It's an amazing way to get through all those barriers and get to the place where you can truly be generous. It's life-changing. I hope you'll think about being a part of it. So what did we learn tonight, guys? Victory in Christ comes through what? Say it with me, church. Victory in Christ comes through sacrifice. We don't like sacrifice, but guess what? We got to go do it. Our Lord did it for us. We got to go do it. I have been convicted, and I'll leave you with this. I have been convicted by this verse from James. You do not have because you do not ask. You do not have because you do not ask. As someone who struggles with courage, guess what I've been asking God for? Courage. I want to be more brave in 2018. I want to be more brave in my community. I want to be more brave reaching out to people who are far from God. I want to be more brave when I feel like giving up, when I feel like my job is just too big, it's too complex, there's no way I can do it, there's no way, oh wait, God made a way. And what I got to sacrifice is my pride. 
What I got to give up is my claim that I need to look good for other people to accept me. Accept me. No, 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 no. No. You don't believe that lie. I don't need to believe that lie. You do not need to believe that lie. No more. 2018, I want to ask for courage. How about you? You want to ask for some courage? Or you want to ask for that courage that you've got just in droves for it to just find that sweet spot, find that target, wherever it is. Maybe it's stepping up into leadership here. Maybe it's finding a way to invest in your kid's school. I don't know. But our world needs people who love Jesus to bring their courage, to bring their very best, and make it real, make it walk and talk in the lives of others that transformed the Roman Empire and gave the Romans every opportunity to lay down their swords. That power is available to you and me tonight. Do we want to be a part of it? Do we want to step into that with courage? You do not have because you do not ask. Let that not be true of us. May it be true of us that we have courage, that we have bravery, that we have vision beyond any mediocre vision for 2018, for 2019, and all the years to come. Victory in Christ comes through sacrifice, friends. I invite you to step into the sacrifice that God is calling you to, calling us to, in the year ahead. Would you join me as we pray? Merciful God. Man, it's good that you're merciful. (laughs) I thank you so much for each and every person in this room. I thank you for our musicians, for the team that's helped making all the audio and video capabilities possible because in these moments we've had together, we've experienced your presence in an uninterrupted way and we thank you for that. I thank you for that. My heart needed that. And now God, as we return our voices to singing, as we rise, as we use our bodies once again to worship you, don't just use our bodies, use our hearts, use our minds, use our voices, use our souls and show us how you want us to be people of courage. Make us more brave. Make our students more brave. Make our parents more brave. We ask these things humbly in the mighty and courageous name of Jesus and all God's people said together, amen.